You're listening to sermon audio from Gospelite Baptist Church. For more resources or to donate to this ministry, please visit gospelite.org. All right, Mo, you come and lead this part of the service. We can bring the lights up, please. All right, so um, we decided to take a small portion starting last year of the service once a year, and we decided to do it during our promotion Sunday, if you will. So on promotion Sunday is when, you know, if your kid's in kindergarten, he would then be in first grade in our children's ministry. Or let's say your child was in fifth grade, and this year he's going to be in sixth grade. This would be the Sunday where he would then be promoted to the sixth grade, and he would be in the Madhouse student ministry. Well, um, what happens to the seniors? Uh, When the seniors in high school graduate, um, just to kind of give you a stat that's been uh, recorded here in recent times, they say that 87% of all seniors who graduate high school leave the church after they graduate. And it's something that really caught me off guard. And as um, as as a kid who grew up in church, I started to think back and I thought back to my graduating class. And I thought to myself, oh, that person's not in church. That person's not in church. That person's not in church. And it just got me thinking, man, that is a, that's such a true fact. And I, as a student pastor here, it kind of was very convicting just to think about uh, how many students graduate and they're just kind of left in limbo. And they, they kind of just came to church because it was their parents' thing. And now that they're in college or maybe they're going to do something else, they just kind of fall out of church. Well, it's exciting that Gospel Light has a very, very vibrant student ministry. We have a lot of students that are, that are serving already in the church um, in, in more ways than one. And I'm just super thrilled with, with what God's doing in the student ministry. In fact, this past Wednesday, we had about, we had 80 plus students up there. I mean, it was like crazy. Miss Katrina Robertson was like, uh, we're getting the bigger room. So, it, I mean, we had to bring extra chairs. It's, it's, it's packed in there. It's getting a little hot. And so we're going to have to bust out walls. Hopefully the building doesn't collapse. I mean, we're going to have to do something. It's really amazing what God's doing. But this Sunday, we do want to take just a couple minutes, and we call this Teen Affirmation Sunday. And the word affirmation or affirm means to basically encourage. And that's really what we want to do as a church is we want to encourage these seniors who graduated, and then now we're going on to do different things in life. We want to encourage them in the ministry and say, hey, look, we're still here for you. You know, we're still praying for you. We want you to be involved and really get them to be realizing, man, I am the future of this church. I am going to be taking the place of Mo as the student pastor one day. I'm going to be taking place of Joe or whoever else is up here in the worship or Pastor Capace. We want them to know that this is their church. And so if I could have the four uh, seniors that are here this morning, um, Mary, Zoe, Cassie, uh, and there was one more, Amanda, is Amanda... There she, okay, yeah. Okay, good. We have about 10 in our student ministry that graduated last year. Um, about three of them um, don't come on Sunday mornings very often. They normally come to our Wednesday night service. But, um, and then a few of them are out of town getting that last-minute vacation in before school starts. But we do want to acknowledge these four that, that are here this morning. And we have, honestly, if you know these guys, uh, you know, they're amazing kids. They've got great potential, great future. And if you don't know them, let me encourage you, no matter what your age is, man, feed into these kids' lives. Give them advice, even if they don't ask for it. They need it, believe me. And so we want you guys to know that we're very proud of you guys. We're super excited about your, your next stage in your life. And what I want to do is, very briefly, I'm going to have each one of them, and I actually gave them a little notice. Normally I don't, but I gave them a little notice, and, and I asked them to just share 
with us, you know, their name, where they went to school, and where they serve in the church already, and how uh, they're going to be, or what they're going to be doing, excuse me, um, in this next year. So, Mary, we'll start with you. Hi, my name is Mary Cantrell. I just graduated from Gospel Action School, and I serve in the BUSC and C4C ministry. been doing that since I was, like, basically born. Um, I love those kids, and I love that ministry. Um, I attend, I'm going to be attending Champion for a few years, and I'm going to be going to nursing school so that I can become a medical missionary. Um, I just spent this past summer on a mission trip. It was really fun. So God has great things for me. Hi, guys. My name's Amanda Dowdy, and like Mary said, I also come from Gospel Light Christian School, and I've been involved bits and pieces in the madhouse, but I didn't get involved in ministry until she went off on a missions trip and asked me to take over and help out with, like, C4C. So I started off with that a little bit, and it's been great so far. I've loved it, so I'm glad she introduced me to that. But I'm also going to Champion. I'm hoping to become a teacher someday and um, just be able to impact kids and show them the love of God like I've experienced it because there is nothing that comes close to God's love. And I just feel like there is no better future than one serving God. And I just love my church here, and I'm so happy to still be a part of it to this day. Thank you. Hello, my name is Zoka Facey, and I just realized that all four of us are actually going to Champion and graduate from Gospel Light. Uh, that's interesting. Um, but uh, I serve on Sundays in the bus ministry, um, and... In the future, I hope to become a basketball coach after I graduate champion. Um, I'll be playing there in basketball, so y'all come watch us and cheer us on. Hi, I'm Cassie Cheatham, and like Zoe said, I graduated from Gospel Light Christian School, and I serve in the bus ministry on Sundays, and I'm going to be going to champion with all of them. <laughs> We actually do have a little bit more diversity in our, in our youth group. Just this morning, it just so happened that all of them are going to Champion and went to Gospel Light. But I will say this. Some of you may not know exactly what they're talking about, maybe for C4C. C4C is Compassion for Children, and that's a ministry we have in our church in which we have, uh, you know, kids that come in on the bus ministry. We, they, they, their parents normally don't come or, you know, they don't have a ride to church. And so we have buses that go pick up these children. They bring them to church. And then they go to C4C, Compassions for Children, which they get lessons from the Bible and, and they just get loved on from people who, who you know, maybe they, don't ex- maybe they don't experience that kind of love here uh, or there at home. And so we're super excited. Most of our uh, C4C and most of our bus ministry is really run by the youth. And it's so cool if you could just understand and realize how amazing, that's not normal, Okay. And it's just so cool to see these guys and what they've, what they've been able to do already in the church. Let me tell you, we've got a bright future. Real quickly, I want to give them a, uh, a little gift from the church. And we have a young adult ministry. Um, we have a, there's, uh, so we have a young adult ministry in our church called Ignite. And Joel Suarez and Darian Suarez are like the, the best ever. They're awesome. And they are in charge of the Ignite uh, young adult ministry, and they are doing something special there as well. And uh, we just wanted to give you guys, one of you hold up the shirt and just kind of like show everybody. This is the Ignite shirt, 
And uh, so we want to pretty much encourage you guys. I tell them, once you're a Madhouseian, we call ourselves Madhouseians because that's where we're from, Madhouse Student Ministry. So once you're a Madhouseian, you're always a Madhouseian. But we do want to encourage you guys as you go into the, the, the college age, we want to encourage you guys to stay faithful in Christ and just always be a part of some type of church wherever you're at. And we just encourage you. We love you guys. And hey, listen, let me ask you guys if you could raise your hand if you will promise to at least pray for them. And this is just our students. You don't have to pray for them by name, but pray for the student ministry and the graduating students. If you could raise your hand and say, I'll pray for them at least once a month. Could you do that for me? And, and by raising it, it's not like, hey, I'll pray for you, and then you never do it. I'm talking about you're going to make a decision. You guys got some serious prayer for you. Hopefully you feel that in this next year as you get stressed out with college classes, all right? Hey, I love you guys, and uh, big time, and I'm proud of what you're doing and what you're going to do. Let's pray for them. Father, Lord, we just ask your hand to be upon all of our students, especially uh, these 10 that have graduated uh, from our Madhouse Youth Ministry. Thank you for these four that represent those 10 here on the platform. Anoint them, guide them, give them wisdom, which is, Lord, the greatest gift that can be given in Scripture after we're saved is wisdom, discernment to make decisions that would honor you. So, Father, go before them and help each one of us as church family to... As Mo challenged us to commit ourselves to pray and to support and to affirm each one of these as they go to the next step in life. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. One more big round of applause for their testimonies. Awesome. Great. Well, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 30. And while you're turning there, I want to just give... Uh, a brief testimony about our 30th anniversary trip. Uh, my wife and I just returned. It took a few days and celebrated 30 years of marriage. And it, it just doesn't seem to be a coincidence that in the middle of this fun ser- summer sermon series that the last three songs, which we've been kind of, you know, uh, not basing the message off the song, but using the song as a way to segue into scripture, and it's been very easy to do that. We've talked very little about the song in the movie. If you've been here for the past eight weeks, very little about the song in the movie, and obviously most about scripture. That's what this is about. But we're, we're thankful that sometimes through the lens of something like this that we can see uh, some things that we, we maybe couldn't see as clearly as we, as we did before. And so it's been, it's been a lot of fun. And we just got back. We went to a couple of Broadway shows, The Phantom of the Opera and Frozen. Both of them ultimately love stories, which is pretty cool. And we had a great time. We spent time dating one another, uh, every meal, uh, bringing up subjects like we do every time we take one of these trips. Okay, what's the one thing about me that you would like uh, for me to work on? And I won't tell you what she said, but... You know, it was, it was, it was good and I'm, I'm going to work on it. And then, you know, I got to tell her one thing and then, you know, what, what's one thing that I do well. And I would like to tell you what she, no, I'm just kidding. And, uh, but you know, what, what's one thing you want me to keep doing? And so we did that and, and really just very vulnerable, had a lot of honest conversation, uh, where we, we weren't defending one another. We were just kind of letting each other speak into our marriage and, and grow our marriage. And so after 30 years, I'm very excited about the future of our marriage. And I know it will not come without challenges because as we sang in that very first song, oh no, you never let go through the what? Through the highs and through the what? Through the lows. And 30 years ago was a high when I married my wife and we went to Hawaii for our honeymoon. 
Somebody gave us a gift. Would you not say that probably for seven days we were on a high? Amen? Yeah. And, and I'm speaking about, I know what you're thinking. Some of you, you know, you know high. Right? What kind of high were you on, preacher? Uh, uh, we'll just go to Hawaii and you'll find out. It's pretty awesome. But, you know, we found out that marriage is not all about the first week. Those, that's probably the best week of your life, you know, that first week of marriage. But you find out quickly that there are highs and there are lows. There's going to be challenges. And there's going to be victories and, and even defeats at times. That's what this song, Tightrope, is all about. This song, Tightrope, even says at one point in the song that I'm not really sure if you'll catch me if I fall. How honest is that? Any marriage in this room that would say, oh, no, my, I've got 100% trust in my spouse that they would never let me down. You, my friend, are in for a rude awakening if you have not already been there. Your spouse will let you down. It is impossible to have a perfect marriage. There's only one, as we sang a moment ago, who has perfection, and that is Jesus Christ. All the rest of us are going to have highs and lows. We are going to, at times, not catch our spouse when they fall, just theoretically speaking here. My my point is all of us need help. We all are struggling in some way or another. And tightrope is about a song that says that that we're walking a tightrope together. And it's tough, and there are challenges. But I'm willing to take this adventure with you. We're going to segue from that song and continue to look at the Word of God to help our marriages as we walk this tightrope together. Let me begin by reminding you about last week. As we continue in this message and we consider this tightrope that we're walking as married couples, last week we learned that there are no other gods. Remember Exodus chapter 20, verses 1, 2, and 3? And we identified that God is very serious about the fact that he wants to be first and last. He's the beginning and the end. God is not willing, interested in being in competition with any other gods in our lives. In verses 4, 5, and 6, we discuss the fact that not only does he not want there to be any other gods, but he also said no idols of any kind. And then we applied that to marriage and we discovered that God is going to be, should be, prayerfully, will be the first and final authority in our marriage. That God's love will be our passion, that God's love will be our experience, that God's love will be our first priority. Now what's interesting about the Ten Commandments is, is, is you look at this tablet uh, written, in this, this stone tablet written by the hand of God, you'll notice the first four commandments are about God. The first four, and God is a God of order, right? And the first four deal with God himself. The first four deal with our relationship vertically with God. But then the second six, or the, or the final six, deal about, about our relationship with others, which would include, obviously, our spouse and, and others in our lives. So before you and I can get the vertical right, uh, or rather, before we can get the yeah the, the, the horizontal right, we got to have the vertical right. Okay, and that's interesting. That God is a God of order, and He first placed the first four commandments in 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 one, two, three, and four, and the second six, five, six, seven, eight, nine, and ten, speaking first of the importance of having a right relationship with God. So let's look at number three: no other gods, no idols, and thirdly. And we're going to apply this to marriage, but I'm going to need you to allow me to plant a foundation. And it takes a little time to do that, a few minutes. No blasphemy. What does it mean? What does God mean when he says in verse number 7 of our text 
You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. He goes on to say, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. It sounds to me as if God is very serious about whatever he's speaking about here. He's very serious about no blasphemy. Do not take my name in vain. So what does that mean? Well, I first of all propose to you this morning that it isn't just about vulgar speech. You know, growing up, I think that's kind of, in even recent, in recent years, I think I identified that particular commandment with more about cussing or four-letter words or potentially saying in some way or another God's name in vain. But this is entirely about God himself, including speech, but not exclusively speech. You see, when God revealed his name, and and by the way, let me just say names are important. When you walk into my, uh, my, my, my dad and my stepmom's house in New Orleans, one of the things you'll notice to the left is an entire wall dedicated to the names of everybody in our family. It's pretty impressive, actually. I mean, every name has a their own frame, and it's actually a pretty large frame, and it's got, it's, it's, it's very well done, it's, uh, it's got some crochet involved in it, it's got our name, it's got the meaning of our name, and it covers an entire wall of all the names of the parents, of the children and the grandchildren, it's, it's pretty impressive. And I find myself at times when I, when I walk into that house and look at my name, I forgot what my name meant. I don't even know if I could really tell you right now what my name means. I, I know it means something and, and, and that it's important that, that it means something. But in, in actuality, that's really not what we're speaking about here. You see, not only is God's name in the Old Testament referred to as Yahweh, which by the mean, way means Lord. He is holy. He is loving. He's God. He is truth, but God was doing more than just revealing what his name means. God was revealing who he is, his purpose, everything about him. So in verse seven, when the Bible says, don't use God's name in vain, I think it is speaking more importantly about the fact that we should not use God's name without a purpose, without a purpose. Illustration, we find sometimes our, our culture, even our church culture, very comfortable with, oh my God. And that just becomes something we even text, OMG. We find ourselves at times being real comfortable with just saying, oh God. Or gosh. And we can get somewhat comfortable with that, almost as if that, that, that's, that doesn't really count. We were in an Uber getting a ride to the airport yesterday morning and the lost driver, the man was obviously not a Christian. He wasn't a believer. He didn't know Jesus. And he used that name as he was talking to us about his job in New York. And he said, Jesus Christ. I'll come back to that in just a moment. But we oftentimes hear God's name used in vain in that way with our speech, with language. But I want to take it a step further. And the way that I want to do that is I want to look at the verse very carefully and clearly and see exactly what it says. Follow it along with me if you would. It says, you shall not take the name 
I've got written on the outside of, of the margin in, in my Bible, next to that, that word, that word in Scripture, name, I've got this word written, person. The word person. Do not take the name of the person of the Lord your God in vain. That word means, I have written in the margin of my Bible, the word empty. The word false or the word futile. So don't take the person of the Lord your God in an empty way, in a false way, in a futile, futile way without purpose. So when did we decide that the word take is speaking about a verbal thing? Are you with me? It doesn't say, don't say the name of the Lord your God in vain. Although I believe it, it, it definitely includes that. I'm not for OMG. In fact, I'll be honest, my family knows this. I have always been, and I think I will continue to be someone who does not use those words. I just don't feel comfortable my, in my spirit. When I say that word, I do feel as if I am disobeying that commandment. I'm, I'm blaspheming God's name, and I'm not comfortable with, with using God's name in a casual or without purpose. But I don't think it's just talking about a verbal thing. It doesn't say, thou shalt not say the name of the Lord. It says specifically, thou shalt not take the name of the Lord. The concept of speech is not even in the text. The word has nothing to do with talking. Although you can certainly blaspheme the Lord in your talking. So let's go a step further. Remember, we said we do that today. And I'm not going too deep, but I want to go deep enough to where you'll connect and we can apply this to marriage, okay? So now the Hebrew word for the word name is NASA, or that's where we get our word NASA, or we, could, we would pronounce it Nassau. And that word literally means to lift. To lift, to bear, or to carry. The concept here literally in the Hebrew means to represent. It's a word that means representation. For instance, if you are here today at Gospel Life Baptist Church and you claim Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you claim that, and by the way, if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want you to know that He loves you, that He died for you, that God sent His Son Jesus to come to this earth and live a perfect life, a sinless life, and he carried on that cross the weight of your sin, the weight of my sin, and he died for you, for me on that cross so you could experience eternal life with Jesus in heaven forever. That's a wonderful thing. And if you're here this morning and you've never experienced that, you've never made that decision, I would encourage you to make that. Oh, listen, I'd love to talk to you about that. But if you have made that decision, then you need to know something this morning. You are bearing a name. You are representing a name. And the name is Jesus. You are a representative of the one that you belong to. If you're a Christian, you belong to Jesus. You carry his name with you wherever you go. And so to take the name of the Lord in vain is not necessarily just to say something that is blasphemous, but it is to not represent Jesus the right way, to misrepresent him. If you bear the name of Jesus and call yourself a Christian, then you must accurately 
You must represent him accurately and respect him totally. This is very important for us to understand. This is, to me, very eye-opening, and, and, and it was a, a life-changing understanding for me. The paraphrase of verse 7 might be read like this. You shall not take, bear, carry the name, the reputation of the Lord your God in vain or without purpose, inaccurately, or in an empty way. Now, with that said, let's apply it to marriage. God's name and reputation must be respected at all times in our marriage. At all times. What is the most important human relationship on planet Earth? For some reason, I find that so many couples transition after they have a child into making that the center of their world. But the truth is, your spouse should never become less than the most important person in all the world to you. That is the most important human relationship on planet Earth. And so if I had Tyler Dauber still up here, I would ask him to give me a drum roll right now. Because I would want what I'm about to say to be the crux of everything else I'm going to say. And that is this. You are a representation of Jesus Christ to your spouse. That's what you are. Husband, that's what you are. Wife, that's what you are. You are a representation of Jesus Christ to your spouse. A great theologian of years gone by, Elton Trueblood, said it like this. And I have this in your notes because it's so powerful. The worst blasphemy is not profanity, it's lip service. The worst blasphemy is not profanity. It's Matthew 15, 8. It says, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart. Far from me. As I stand before you here this morning, I can't help but to wonder Am I just giving you lip service this morning? That's convicting to me. Man, I had a gut check in my office. Am I am I walking across the street to just put in my weekly message? I mean that's what they pay me for, right? They need some dude to get up and be the teaching pastor and just kind of Give lip service every week, right? Isn't that kind of what this is all about? Isn't that what we do? That's so sad. I don't want to give lip service this morning. I want to represent Jesus. How many of us are coming to church and we're, and we're giving the lip service? We're singing the worship songs. We're kind of going through the motions. And we've kind of gotten used to this thing of being a Christian and, and kind of walking through our, our, our Christian life, saying the right things, even at times doing the right things, but our heart is far from God. You see, the worst profanity is not a Uber driver saying Jesus Christ. What, what, is that supposed to shock us or something? Did you? Some of you are probably thinking, well, Pastor, you laid him out, right? You gave him what for? You defended Jesus in that Uber. No, I didn't. Why would I do that? Why would I shame a man who doesn't even know Jesus? That would be misrepresenting Jesus. Jesus wouldn't have done that. Jesus wouldn't have told him to shut up, pull this car. We're getting out. We'll get us another driver. That's blasphemous if you want my honest opinion. 
Here's a lost man that that used God's name in vain. But I think it is more blasphemous for believers to misrepresent Jesus than it is for a lost man to. Your marriage bears the name of Jesus. It bears the name of Jesus Christ to one another. It bears the name of Jesus Christ to one another. Let me ask you a question. Do your children love Jesus more after watching your marital relationship? Do they love Jesus more after watching your marital conduct? If not, have we borne his name in vain to our children? Really think about it. The greatest way to represent Jesus to your children is to bear the name of Jesus in your relationship with one another. And how did Jesus treat us? He loved us so much that he sacrificed his life for us. That's why we should love our wives like God loved the church. And when we do that, we're we're showing our kids a picture of the Father, a picture of God's love. And there's no better relationship in the world to do that than a husband and a wife walking that tightrope together. Your marriage is your opportunity to carry the name of Jesus to your family and to your extended family. What an opportunity. My wife and I are realizing that as we mature as Christians, as we mature in our marriage, 30 years of marriage, we're understanding as our kids now are getting older and God is giving us grandchildren, that the greatest gift that we can give to them is our marriage. That's the greatest gift. It's not an inheritance. More than likely, I'll spend the majority of my money on vacations and on my kids and on food. Probably not. I mean, I got a life insurance policy that'll take care of Carol Ann. I, I've got that all set up, and I recommend that, and I, 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 I'm doing that. But as far as, you know, just trying to save up all kinds of millions of dollars and leave. Man, listen, truth of the matter is, I don't plan on leaving them a whole lot of materialism. What I want to leave them with is a representation of Jesus Christ in my marriage. I want my kids to know that dad loved mom, that mom loved dad. We're carrying a name. It's Jesus, and we've got to carry it. We've got to carry it accurately. Eric, don't take the name of the Lord in vain by misrepresenting me to your church and to your kids and to your spouse. So let's get practical. Well, I always get practical because sometimes it gets heavy. <laughs> and the best way to get out of heavy is to get practical. So let's just put it down on the top shelf. Shall we do that for just a moment? Let's just get it to where we can all just say, yeah, that's that's me. I I might be blaspheming the name of Jesus that way. I know that sounds really horrible. I I know none of us want to admit that we're blasphemers. But that's the only way we can get right is to come to a place where we can say, I've identified in a practical way that I'm misrepresenting Jesus in my marriage. So I picked five things. These five things are things that I have seen in 26 years of pastoring this church because it's the only one I've ever pastored. But after 26 years, you stay somewhere long enough, you see marriages that don't make it. And when you see marriages that don't make it, you take notes and you learn from that. You learn how to counsel. You learn better how to preach and how to help people not get into that situation. So I've identified about five things that I think I could say in all of the marriages that I've ever seen not make it One of these five applied to that situation, or two or three. Number one, 
The first way that our marriage might possibly blaspheme the Lord is faith comes first. You see, I think sometimes we feel as if that our spouse has to be spiritual before our marriage can work. That until our spouse loves God fully, how is it going to work? Because I love God fully. But Jesus didn't treat us that way. In fact, in Romans chapter 5 and verse 8, it says that God showed his love to us and that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. You see, with God, he did not require of us some sort of a, some sort of a, a, a spiritual condition or, or, or a level of faith before he would send his son. No, he saw us in our sin and he loved us anyway. And a marriage will only work when we understand that my relationship with my spouse is not contingent upon her relationship with Jesus. It's not. My relationship with my spouse is contingent upon my relationship with Jesus. And I'll love her no matter what. Number two. Ministry before marriage. Now this applies to quite a few more people than you might think. You might think right now I'm speaking to all the paid staff and all those in full-time Christian service. And uh, maybe those that are in our school or our church staff. But I'm really speaking to anyone here in this room who has a desire to serve God. Because we're all, to an extent, in full-time ministry. Some of us are, yes, coming to the church. We're getting a paycheck. We've surrendered to this calling that's called ministry. uh, that, That becomes our profession. But all of us are in the ministry. But for just a moment, since this one is the one that almost destroyed my marriage thinking that ministry comes first, and there was a time when ministry was first in my life. And so I I want to tell you, I can speak from a little experience, and I'm grateful today for men, women, for Jesus himself, who, who convicted me, who showed me that this was not accurate. In fact, it was blasphemous. I learned a lot sitting across the table from a pastor seven years ago. And I, he was my, one of my, most respected mentors in life. In fact, you know, honestly, it was the most awkward conversation I've probably ever had in my life, sitting across the table from a man who was 10 years older than me, who had been married over 30 years, 36 years. And I'm sitting across the table from him, and, and I'm hearing him say things like, as his, his wife and he had just separated and were in a very terrible spot, and he was saying things like, you know, I just... You're just ruining my opportunity to preach and it looks like I'm not going to be able to pastor anymore and, and conduct this youth conference anymore and I just, I just don't know what I'm going to do and I kept hearing this and honestly I was thinking, I, I thought I, I really don't understand why he is so concerned about the church and the youth conference when he and his wife are in such a mess and they're separated and his kids won't even talk to him and I finally stopped and said, dude you just lost your family You've lost your wife. Your kids won't even talk to you. Don't worry about the ministry or youth conference. Worry about your first ministry, your family. Because your greatest ministry is your family. And I understand that. And if I have one thing that can be taken advantage of from the staff of this church, it's anytime they say family, I'm good with it. The older I get, the more I understand I lost a lot of years choosing ministry over family. I went through the feelings of guilt when I would come home before 7, 8 o'clock thinking I got more work to do. I should be at the church. 
feeling guilty after 12, 14 hours of putting, not that that I still don't do that at times. My kids and family know that I'm prone to do that. I'm prone to wander back into that. That's just a weakness that I have that I need to be kept accountable to. I need to be corrected at times by my compassionate wife when I get things out of order. But I'm learning more and more that my family isn't God, but my ministry isn't God either. And I've got to make sure that ministry does not come before marriage. Parents, do not make your children's relationship with God the test of their relationship with you. Spouses, do not make your spouse's relationship with God the test of their relationship with you. Don't do that. When I put ministry before my wife and children, I have represented the Lord inaccurately. And that's blasphemous. I've taken his name in vain. I've taken his name in vain. Don't forget that. Number three. And I didn't know any other way but to approach this one as, and this is practical, church. Let's call number three the lopsided marriage. What do I mean by the lopsided marriage? Well, it's one that I've seen cause a lot of marital strife. This is where maybe, if I could use this as an example, this would be where the wife, you know, she cooks and she cleans and, 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 and she takes care of the kids and, and she makes sure the house is in order. And, and, and even sometimes we find this woman mowing the lawn and, and, and planting in the garden and working on the weekends. And the husband, he works and he sits. Well, I bring home the money. So she does everything else. You, my friend, are a blasphemer. That's a lopsided marriage. Let me ask you a question. And I, I, this is not a trick question. Trust me, you, you, you will not even have to think about it. Hold up your hand if you think that you have given more to God than God has given to you. Anybody? All right. Now hold up your hand if you think... God has given more to you than you have given to God. That's me. That's you. That's representing God. I'm going to give more to her than she gives to me. I want to work at that. You see, marriage is give and take. It's not about keeping score. It's not about, well, I do this and you do this and I do this and you do this and why don't you do this and why don't you do that? It's not about that. Honestly, it's about me looking for opportunities. It's about this afternoon, me feeling as if it's my obligation if she cooks to do the dishes. What's wrong with that? I don't do them all the time, but I, I need to do them sometimes. I, I, I need to, I, I, my kids need to know what it's like to, to take out the garbage and watch daddy do that and watch daddy help mommy around the house and, and see dad serving mom even though he's worked a long day. He doesn't just come and feel like that everybody owes him the world. No, this is about give and take. This is about representing the Lord accurately. And to do that, I need to be giving more. It's just the way it is. Marriage is give and take. Number four. I think another way we might blaspheme his name is secret anything. Hold up the universal symbol for how many secrets we should have in our marriage. Zero. Y'all, come on, preacher. You got a few secrets, don't you? I mean, there's a few things you're keeping from Caroline. No. Not, not at all. Nothing. Not one thing. 
I, ha- I have no secrets I'm keeping from my wife. For instance, I, I, I get concerned when I see people that have two phones. I'm wondering, what's up with two phones? I'm also concerned about people that have a trouble with their spouse knowing what their passcode is to their phone. I don't get that either. In fact, I tell you what, if you want my passcode to my phone, you can have it. I have nothing to hide. Uh, my wife knows my passcode. My kids know my, my grandkids know my, Bentley knows my passcode. Papa, can I have your phone to do YouTube kids? 444 <laughs> It's all over it. Because I've got nothing to hide. No secrets. I don't know where he is. I don't know where she is. That is disaster. Should there ever be a time where our spouse should not know where we are? Listen, Jesus is light. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we shall have fellowship one with another. And the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from all sin. He is in the light. Therefore, there are no secrets because we're called into the light. And secrecy has no place in marriage. Can I get an amen? It's just the truth. That's blasphemous. When we keep secrets from our spouse, we're not representing Jesus because he's light. He's all about transparency. He's all about openness. He's all about vulnerability. Be very careful about secrets. Be very careful about, well, I don't want her to see my text messages. I don't want her to see my emails. No, you can see everything. It doesn't matter. I've got nothing to hide. Here it is. Number five. I put it like this, fearful avoidance. Now, what do I mean by that? Fearful avoidance. Let let me just preface this by saying this, that God does not want his children living in fear. Everybody got that? I understand there's a healthy fear of God, but I, I think you know the direction for which I'm going. If you have fear, it's not from God because God has not given us the spirit of fear. So we know this fear does not come from God. So, so let's apply this to marriage on the man first. Here's a guy that walks on eggshells. She's going to blow. You just don't know, preacher. You just, it's like, I mean, around our house, it's just like we're all like nervous. We don't want to say anything wrong because, I mean, she will hit the seal. It's crazy. We just all walk on eggshells. You're living in fear. And ma'am, you're not bearing the name of Jesus accurately. Here's a woman who lives in fear. I just can't say anything. You don't understand. If I say anything, he's just all over me. I can't ask a question. If I ask a question, I'm an idiot. I'm stupid. I don't even talk anymore because he just downgrades me. He speaks down to me. And I just, it's just a terrible. Sir, that's as wicked as wicked gets. I'm a nice guy. But that's not right. There's nothing right about those two scenarios. Fearful avoidance through our relationship with Jesus Christ. We don't have to live in fear of God. And people who are bearing the name of Jesus accurately have no fear in their marriage. Have no fear in their home. And I I grew up in a... In a, in a movement that I don't think they believe this. I honestly believe there was a lot of teaching about, you know, the, the, there being a fear of the man in the house. And, you know, being kind of afraid when he walked. Dad's coming home. <laughs> Clean everything up. Hide everything. Make sure. You know, 
Let me tell you something. That's the 87% of kids that are leaving church when they're 18. That's why they're leaving. I know it's partly the church's fault, but I'm going to tell you, at the end of the day, homes need to fess up. We've got a responsibility to represent Jesus to our kids. And we don't do it with fear. So let's read verse 7 again. And maybe if we read it this time, maybe it'll speak to us a little differently than it did before. You shall not take the name, the person of the Lord your God in vain. You shall not carry, you shall not represent the person of God in vain to your spouse. No other gods, no idols, no blasphemy. Now, let me take a moment and speak to all of our men and ladies here today. Our couples. I know that not everybody in this room is on level playing field. We're all in different places. I do want to begin by saying this, that after 30 years of marriage, my wife and I found out even more that we don't have a perfect marriage after this trip. Oh, man, we just thought your marriage would be better. Oh, it's better. It's better. It's no doubt. When you pour three days of one-on-one together, you're better off, right? But I also know it won't take very long for those three days to become null and void if I'm not working on the things we talked about. So I want to begin by saying that although my wife and I will be up front together in just a moment, I want you to know it's, it, I'm not speaking out of superiority or that I've arrived or from some sort of elitist standpoint. Actually, I come to you today humbly, almost in a posture like this, realizing that I don't want to give lip service. I, I don't. I want to speak from my heart. I want to be honest and vulnerable, and, and I want to be open with you guys and let you know that we're in this journey together. And and there's highs and there's lows and there's a tightrope that we're walking. And sometimes I have not always caught Carol Ann. Sometimes I've not always treated her properly. But as we continue to put Jesus first and learn how to treat one another, man, we're growing in grace and, and we're still walking that tightrope. And it's an adventure. It's got a breathtaking view. Especially when you're in New York. Maybe you're here today, and honestly, you would say, I just don't know if I'm ready for the upfront thing. That's okay. I need you to know that's okay. I do. I don't think this is a moment where we need to feel, well, what if I don't go up? What will people think? No, that's, that's actually, we've already discussed that this is a place of no judgment. We're not here to judge. This is a place of honesty. This is a place of surrender. And if you're not ready to surrender, th- that's okay. Maybe you would say during the, the first worship verse, Joe and Jordan, as we sing, maybe that would be a time for you to, to ask your spouse, do you want to go? Would you like to go? Should we go forward for just a moment of worship and prayer? Take advantage of that opportunity. Maybe you're in a place where your spouse is not with you today for whatever reason. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's, you know, just uh, we had a couple of situations this morning where the Spouse comes to church by themselves. The other spouse is not even in church. Maybe that's kind of where you're at right now. And we love you. And man, we're, we're in this thing together. Maybe one is ready, but the other's not. Be patient with the other one. But if both are ready, and in just a few moments, I'm going to ask you to humble yourself and just... 
let's just come forward and the worship team's going to sing and at some point I'd like to come up and just pray with all of us, my wife and I together, pray over these couples and ask God to strengthen our marriages and here's what we're doing. We're just recommitting ourselves to God's rule and authority in our home. That's it. It's just, it's just a way for us in this gathering to be accountable to God's word. So let's pray, shall we? Father, I pray, Lord, that you would allow us in these next few moments, as we even worship and sing this song, In Control, as we think about the valleys that we have been through together as a church family, as couples, as we have extended compassion to others, Lord, who have been through highs and lows. God, may each of us this morning truly humble ourselves and look within ourselves to our own marriages and come to a place where we are willing to recommit. God, if that's your will for us this morning, oh God, would you have your way? Have your way. God, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that you've taught me so much about just being honest and not having to live the perfect life. Lord, being able to have an imperfect marriage and still pastor this church and know that, Lord, actually we're probably representing you better by being honest and working on our marriage than we would if we were just giving you lip service. So, Father, we ask you, God, today, as this verse is sung, that those that would like to come forward for prayer, that this would be a moment of surrender as we stand together at this altar, kneel at this altar, whatever posture we take, that, God, it would be a moment of recommitting. And then as we finish the worship song, I just pray, God, that you would bring us into your presence. And that, Father, this would be a very meaningful, powerful time as we learn to represent you kids, to our spouse, to the community. Thank you, God, for this tool of marriage that you've given us to represent your name. God, help us to do it to this lost and dying world. I love you, Jesus. I love this church, and I love our people. In Jesus' name.